Hi, welcome to History's Great Speeches. I'm Charles Featherston, voice artist, narrator and compiler of the series. Please like or subscribe and feel free to contact me via Bandcamp, Podbean, Facebook or Patreon to let me know speeches or time periods you'd like to see covered. You can find a full set of links at my website, charlesfeatherston.uk. Speech of Sedition, 1918, Part 1 Comrades, friends and fellow workers, for this very cordial greeting, this very hearty reception, I thank you all with the fullest appreciation of your interest in and your devotion to the cause for which I am to speak to you this afternoon. To speak for labour, to plead the cause of the men and women and children who toil, to serve the working class, has always been to me a high privilege, a duty of love. I have just returned from a visit over yonder where three of our most loyal comrades are paying the penalty for their devotion to the cause of the working class. They have come to realise, as many of us have, that it is extremely dangerous to exercise the constitutional right of free speech in a country fighting to make democracy safe in the world. I realise that, in speaking to you this afternoon, there are certain limitations placed upon the right of free speech. I must be exceedingly careful, prudent as to what I say, and even more careful and prudent as to how I say it. I may not be able to say all I think, but I am not going to say anything that I do not think. I would rather a thousand times be a free soul in jail than to be a sycophant and coward in the streets. They may put those boys in jail, and some of the rest of us in jail, but they cannot put the socialist movement in jail. Those prison bars separate their bodies from ours, but their souls are here this afternoon. They are simply paying the penalty that all men have paid in all the ages of history for standing erect and for seeking to pave the way to better conditions for mankind. If it had not been for the men and women who, in the past, have had the moral courage to go to jail, we would still be in the jungles. This assemblage is exceedingly good to look upon. I wish it were possible for me to give you what you are giving me this afternoon. What I say here amounts to but little. What I see here is exceedingly important. You workers in Ohio, enlisted in the greatest cause ever organised in the interest of your class, are making history today in the face of threatening opposition of all kinds. History that is going to be read with profound interest by coming generations. There is but one thing you have to be concerned about, and that is that you keep foursquare with the principles of the international socialist movement. It is only when you begin to compromise that trouble begins. So far as I am concerned, it does not matter what others may say or think or do, as long as I am sure that I am right with myself and the cause. There are so many who seek refuge in the popular side of a great question. As a socialist, I have long since learned how to stand alone. For the last month, I have been travelling over the Hoosier state. And let me say to you that, in all my connection with the socialist movement, I have never seen such meetings, such enthusiasm, such unity of purpose. Never have I seen such a promising outlook as there is today, notwithstanding the statement published repeatedly that our leaders have deserted us. Well, for myself, I never had much faith in leaders. I am willing to be charged with almost anything rather than to be charged with being a leader. I am suspicious of leaders and especially of the intellectual variety. Give me the rank and file every day in the week. 
If you go to the city of Washington and you examine the pages of the Congressional Directory, you will find that almost all of those corporation lawyers and cowardly politicians, members of Congress and misrepresentatives of the masses, you will find that almost all of them claim, in glowing terms, that they have risen from the ranks to places of eminence and distinction. I am very glad I cannot make that claim for myself. I would be ashamed to admit that I had risen from the ranks. When I rise, it will be with the ranks, and not from the ranks. When I came away from Indiana, the comrades said, When you cross the line and get over into the Buckeye State, tell the comrades there that we are on duty and doing duty. Give them for us a hearty greeting, and tell them that we are going to make a record this fall that will be read around the world. The socialists of Ohio, it seems, are very much alive this year. The party has been killed recently, which, no doubt, accounts for its extraordinary activity. There is nothing that helps the Socialist Party so much as receiving an occasional death blow. The oftener it is killed, the more active, the more energetic, the more powerful it becomes. Those who have been reading the capitalist newspapers realise what a capacity they have for lying. We have been reading them lately. They know all about the Socialist Party, the Socialist Movement, except what is true. Only the other day they took an article that I had written, and most of you have read it, most of you members of the party at least, and they made it appear that I had undergone a marvellous transformation. I had suddenly become changed, had in fact come to my senses. I had ceased to be a wicked socialist and had become a respectable socialist, a patriotic socialist, as if I had ever been anything else. What was the purpose of this deliberate misrepresentation? It is so self-evident that it suggests itself. The purpose was to sow the seeds of dissension in our ranks, to have it appear that we were divided among ourselves, that we were pitted against each other to our mutual undoing. But socialists were not born yesterday. They know how to read capitalist newspapers and to believe exactly the opposite of what they read. Why should a socialist be discouraged on the eve of the greatest triumph in all the history of the socialist movement? It is true that these are anxious, trying days for us all. Testing days for the women and men who are upholding the banner of labour in the struggle of the working class of all the world against the exploiters of all the world. A time in which the weak and cowardly will falter and fail and desert. They lack the fibre to endure the revolutionary test, they fall away, they disappear as if they had never been. On the other hand, they who are animated by the unconquerable spirit of the social revolution, they who have the moral courage to stand erect and assert their convictions, stand by them, fight for them, go to jail or to hell for them if need be, they are writing their names in this crucial hour, they are writing their names in faceless letters in the history of mankind. Those boys over yonder, those comrades of ours, and how I love them. Aye, they are my younger brothers, their very names throb in my heart, thrill in my veins, and surge in my soul. I am proud of them, they are there for us, and we are here for them. Their lips, though temporarily mute, are more eloquent than ever before, and their voice, though silent, is heard around the world. Are we opposed to Prussian militarism? Why, we have been fighting it since the day the socialist movement was born, and we are going to continue to fight it, day and night, until it is wiped from the face of the earth. Between us there is no truce, no compromise. 
But before I proceed along this line, let me recall a little history in which I think we are all interested. In 1869, that grand old warrior of the social revolution, the elder Liebknecht, was arrested and sentenced to prison for three months because of his war as a socialist on the Kaiser and on the Junkers that rule Germany. In the meantime, the Franco-Prussian War broke out. Liebknecht and Babel were the socialist members in the Reichstag. They were the only two who had the courage to protest against taking Alsace-Lorraine from France and annexing it to Germany. And for this, they were sentenced two years to a prison fortress charged with high treason. Because, even in that early day, almost 50 years ago, these leaders, these forerunners of the international socialist movement, were fighting the Kaiser and fighting the Junkers of Germany. They have continued to fight them from that day to this. Multiplied thousands of socialists have languished in the jails of Germany because of their heroic warfare upon the despotic ruling class of that country. Let us come down the line a little farther. You remember that, at the close of Theodore Roosevelt's second term as president, he went over to Africa to make war on some of his ancestors. You remember that, at the close of his expedition, he visited the capitals of Europe, and that he was wined and dined, dignified and glorified by all the kaisers and czars and emperors of the old world. He visited Potsdam while the kaiser was there, And, according to the accounts published in the American newspapers, he and the Kaiser were soon on the most familiar terms. They were hilariously intimate with each other and slapped each other on the back. After Roosevelt had reviewed the Kaiser's troops, according to the same accounts, he became enthusiastic over the Kaiser's legions and said, If I had that kind of army, I could conquer the world. He knew the Kaiser then, just as well as he knows him now. He knew that he was the Kaiser, the Beast of Berlin, and yet he permitted himself to be entertained by that Beast of Berlin, had his feet under the mahogany of the Beast of Berlin, was cheek by jowl with the Beast of Berlin. And while Roosevelt was being entertained royally by the German Kaiser, that same Kaiser was putting the leaders of the Socialist Party in jail for fighting the Kaiser and the Junkers of Germany. Roosevelt was the guest of honour in the White House of the Kaiser, while the socialists were in the jails of the Kaiser for fighting the Kaiser. Who then was fighting for democracy? Roosevelt? Roosevelt, who was honoured by the Kaiser, or the socialists who were in jail by order of the Kaiser? When the newspapers reported that Kaiser Wilhelm and ex-president Theodore recognised each other at sight, were perfectly intimate with each other at the first touch, they made the admission that is fatal to the claim of Theodore Roosevelt, that he is the friend of the common people and the champion of democracy. They admitted that they were kith and kin, that they were very much alike, that their ideas and ideals were about the same. If Theodore Roosevelt is the great champion of democracy, the arch-foe of autocracy, what business had he as the guest of honour of the Prussian Kaiser? And when he met the Kaiser and did honour to the Kaiser, under the terms imputed to him, wasn't it pretty strong proof that he himself was a Kaiser at heart? Now, after being the guest of Emperor Wilhelm, the Beast of Berlin, he comes back to this country and wants you to send 10 million men over there to kill the Kaiser, to murder his former friend and pal. Rather queer, isn't it? And yet he is the patriot and we are the traitors. I challenge you to find a socialist anywhere on the face of the earth who was ever the guest of the Beast of Berlin, except as an intimate of his prison. The elder Liebknecht and the younger Liebknecht, the heroic son of his immortal sire.
A little more history along the same line. In 1902, Prince Henry paid a visit to this country. Do you remember him? I do exceedingly well. Prince Henry is the brother of Emperor Wilhelm. Prince Henry is another beast of Berlin, an autocrat, an aristocrat, a Junker of Junkers, very much despised by our American patriots. He came over here in 1902 as the representative of Kaiser Wilhelm. He was received by Congress and by several state legislatures, among others by the state legislature of Massachusetts, then in session. He was invited there by the capitalist captains of that so-called Commonwealth. And when Prince Henry arrived, there was one member of that body who kept his self-respect, put on his hat, and as Henry the Prince walked in, that member of the body walked out. And that was James F. Carey, the socialist member of that body. All the rest, all the rest of the representatives in the Massachusetts legislature, all, all of them, joined in doing honour in the most servile spirit to the high representative of the autocracy of Europe. And the only man who left that body was a socialist. And yet, and yet they have the hardihood to claim that they are fighting autocracy and that we are in the service of the German government. A little more history along the same line. I have a distinct recollection of it. It occurred 15 years ago when Prince Henry came here. All of our plutocracy, all of the wealthy representatives living along Fifth Avenue, all, all of them, threw their palace doors wide open and received Prince Henry with open arms. But they were not satisfied with this. They got down and grovelled in the dust at his feet. Our plutocracy, women and men alike, vied with each other to lick the boots of Prince Henry, the brother and representative of the Beast of Berlin. And still our plutocracy, our Junkers, would have us believe that all the Junkers are confined to Germany. It is precisely because we refuse to believe this that they brand us as disloyalists. They want our eyes focused on the Junkers in Berlin so that we will not see those within our own borders. I hate, I loathe, I despise Junkers and Junkerdom. I have no earthly use for the Junkers of Germany, and not one particle more use for the Junkers in the United States. They tell us that we live in a great free republic, that our institutions are democratic, that we are a free and self-governing people. This is too much, even for a joke. But it is not a subject for levity, it is an exceedingly serious matter. To whom do the Wall Street Junkers in our country marry their daughters? After they have wrung their countless millions from your sweat, your agony and your life's blood, in a time of war as in a time of peace, they invest these untold millions in the purchase of titles of broken-down aristocrats, such as princes, dukes, counts and other parasites and no-accounts. Would they be satisfied to wed their daughters to honest working men? To real Democrats? Oh no, they scour the markets of Europe for vampires who are titled and nothing else and they swap their millions for the titles so that matrimony with them becomes literally a matter of money. These are the gentry who are today wrapped up in the American flag, who shout their claim from the housetops that they are the only patriots, and who have their magnifying glasses in hand, scanning the country for evidence of disloyalty, eager to apply the brand of treason to the men who dare to even whisper their opposition to Juncker rule in the United States. No wonder Sam Johnson declared that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. 
He must have had this Wall Street gentry in mind, or at least their prototypes, for in every age it has been the tyrant, the oppressor and the exploiter who has wrapped himself in the cloak of patriotism or religion, or both to deceive and overawe the people. They would have you believe that the Socialist Party consists in the main of disloyalists and traitors. It is true in a sense not at all to their discredit. We frankly admit that we are disloyalists and traitors to the real traitors of this nation. To the gang that on the Pacific coast are trying to hang Tom Mooney and Warren Billings in spite of their well-known innocence and the protest of practically the whole civilised world. I know Tom Mooney intimately, as if he were my own brother. He is an absolutely honest man. He had no more to do with the crime with which he was charged and for which he was convicted than I had. And if he ought to go to the gallows, so ought I. If he is guilty, every man who belongs to a labour organisation or to the Socialist Party is likewise guilty. What is Tom Mooney guilty of? I will tell you. I am familiar with his record. For years he has been fighting bravely and without compromise the battles of the working class out on the Pacific coast. He refused to be bribed and he could not be browbeaten. In spite of all attempts to intimidate him, he continued loyally in the service of the organised workers, and for this he became a marked man. The henchmen of the powerful and corrupt corporations, concluding finally that he could not be bought or bribed or bullied, decided he must therefore be murdered. That is why Tom Mooney is today a life prisoner, and why he would have been hanged as a felon long ago, but for the worldwide protest of the working class. Let us review another bit of history. You remember Francis J. Haney, special investigator of the state of California, who was shot down in cold blood in the courtroom in San Francisco. You remember that dastardly crime, do you not? The United Railways, consisting of a load of plutocrats and highbinders represented by the Chamber of Commerce, absolutely control the city of San Francisco. The city was and is their private reservation. Their will is the supreme law. Take your stand against them and question their authority and you are doomed. They do not hesitate a moment to plot murder or any other crime to perpetuate their corrupt and enslaving regime. Tom Mooney was the chief representative of the working class they could not control. They own the railways, they control the great industries, they are the industrial masters and the political rulers of the people. From their decision there is no appeal. They are the autocrats of the Pacific coast, as cruel and infamous as any that ever ruled in Germany or any other country in the old world. When their rule became so corrupt that at last a grand jury indicted them and they were placed on trial, and Francis J. Heaney was selected to assist in their prosecution, this gang, represented by the Chamber of Commerce, this gang of plutocrats, autocrats and highbinders, hired an assassin to shoot Heaney down in the courtroom. Heaney, however, happened to live through it, but that was not their fault. The same identical gang that hired the murderer to kill Haney also hired false witnesses to swear away the life of Tom Mooney and, foiled in that, they have kept him in a foul prison hole ever since. Every solitary one of these aristocratic conspirators and would-be murderers claims to be an arch-patriot. Every one of them insists that the war is being waged to make the world safe for democracy. What humbug! What rot! What false pretense! 
These autocrats, these tyrants, these red-handed robbers and murderers, the patriots, while the men who have the courage to stand face to face with them, speak the truth and fight for their exploited victims, they are the disloyalists and traitors. If this be true, I want to take my place side by side with the traitors in this fight. The other day they sentenced Kate Richards O'Hare to the penitentiary for five years. Think of sentencing a woman to the penitentiary simply for talking. The United States, under plutocratic rule, is the only country that would send a woman to prison for five years for exercising the right of free speech. If this be treason, let them make the most of it. Let me review a bit of history in connection with this case. I have known Kate Richards O'Hare intimately for 20 years. I am familiar with her public record. Personally, I know her as if she were my own sister. All who know Mrs O'Hare know her to be a woman of unquestioned integrity, and they also know that she is a woman of unimpeachable loyalty to the socialist movement. When she went out into North Dakota to make her speech, followed by plainclothes men in the service of the government intent upon effecting her arrest and securing her prosecution and conviction, when she went out there it was with the full knowledge on her part that sooner or later these detectives would accomplish their purpose. She made her speech, and that speech was deliberately misrepresented for the purpose of securing her conviction. The only testimony against her was that of a hired witness, and when the farmers, the men and women who were in the audience she addressed, when they went to Bismarck where the trial was held to testify in her favour, to swear that she had not used the language she was charged with having used, the judge refused to allow them to go up upon the stand. This would seem incredible to me if I had not had some experience of my own with federal courts. Who appoints our federal judges? The people? In all the history of the country, the working class have never named a federal judge. There are 121 of these judges, and every solitary one holds his position, his tenure, through the influence and power of corporate capital. The corporations and trusts dictate their appointment, and when they go to the bench, they go not to serve the people, but to serve the interests that place them and keep them where they are. Why, the other day, by a vote of five to four, a kind of craps game, come seven, come eleven, they declared the child labour law unconstitutional, a law secured after twenty years of education and agitation on the part of all kinds of people. And yet, by a majority of one, the Supreme Court, a body of corporation lawyers with just one exception, wiped that law from the statute books, and this in our so-called democracy, so that we may continue to grind the flesh and blood and bones of puny little children into profits for the Yunkers of Wall Street. And this in a country that boasts of fighting to make the world safe for democracy. The history of this country is being written in the blood of the childhood the industrial lords have murdered. These are not palatable truths to them. They do not like to hear them, and what is more, they do not want you to hear them, and that is why they brand us as undesirable citizens and as disloyalists and traitors. If we were actual traitors, traitors to the people and to their welfare and progress, we would be regarded as eminently respectable citizens of the Republic, we would hold high office, have princely incomes and ride in limousines, and we would be pointed out as the elect who have succeeded in life in honourable pursuit and worthy of emulation by the youth of the land. It is precisely because we are disloyal to the traitors that we are loyal to the people of this nation.